All right. So today we're going to do a little, it's a communion day. So those of you at home, make sure you get uh, your, your bread and your juice ready. Uh, after the sermon, we're going to have communion. Uh, so now we're going to have uh, announcements uh, and uh, offering. So for those that have taken the offering, come up. Come on, Bob, look a little more happy. Thank you, Randy. All right, let's pray for the offering. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, ask that uh, you just touch our hearts and just uh, that we not only put uh, our tithes in the, in the bag, but like Hector says, you know, we, we, we volunteer our services to you. That's another way we can provide offering to you, Lord. And I just thank you for this day. Amen. All right. Youth, what are y'all doing today? It says here you're going to go do a lot of yard work and lawn work. I don't think you're dressed for that. Oh, wait. Hold on. Bowling. Bowling. The youth is going bowling today after the service. Uh, is there until it's time to sign up for those that haven't? All right. So if you haven't signed up yet, $5. Uh, see Miss Nancy uh, for the youth and uh, jump in the car. <laughs> The new 9 a.m. adult Sunday school classes sign up is still back on the table. Uh, that starts on 1021. Uh, Monday is our first Monday prayer. Love to see you up here. And uh, this Saturday is uh, October 8th is men's breakfast at 8 a.m. Uh, free. Come eat, hang out, fellowship with other men. The uh, fellowship small group. Uh, join us this Friday, October 7th, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Every first and third Friday in room 99. Uh, see Donna Burks for more information. Are you in here, Donna? There she is right back there. All right. Pastor Mike. Thank you, sir. Ah, good morning. God has a, a sense of humor. Well, I'm a pastor. There's proof. <laughs> you know, last week, we're in a series called um, The Relational Jesus, looking at how Jesus relates to us and how we can learn from Jesus how to relate to one another to the best of our abilities. And last week, we looked at what I call a fun passage of Scripture. Jesus turns water into wine. I mean, that's a fun passage of Scripture, isn't it? I mean, that, that, that was a good one, his first miraculous sign. And, and I'm sure that his disciples, newly acquired disciples, were blown away by this. You know, God's chosen one. First thing he does, turns water into wine. And I can imagine them gathering together and talking about this journey that they're, they're beginning with Jesus. Like, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> it's not what I expected. And, and Jesus is pretty good at not what I expected, right? So uh, that was their introduction. At the other end of the journey, right before his arrest, his trial, and execution, we find Jesus having this conversation with the same disciples. 
And it's the conclusion to a long dialogue that we find in, in John. It begins in chapter 13, goes all the way through chapter 17. And he says this to them in John chapter 13. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And according to the Gospel of John, that's the last conversation that we see recorded between the disciples and Jesus prior to his trial and and everything that goes down. Now you'll note right in this verse that there's quite a contrast. In me, you may have peace. So in this world, you will have trouble. And Jesus has kind of given us all a clue right here. If you go the world's way, you're going to have trouble. If you go my way, you're going to have peace. The unfortunate caveat to it is we live in the world. We're going to have trouble. But then he offers up this word of encouragement that take heart, I have overcome the world. I have overcome this troublesome place. So this morning, in complete contrast to last week, turning water into wine, a fun passage of scripture, I thought we'd go to troubles just to keep things kind of balanced up. A complete contrast. God's got a sense of humor. So just thinking about these, this whole troubles thing this week, and I've noticed that whatever I'm preaching on, God always works it in my life to prepare me, I think, to, to, to bring a message so that when I bring a message, it's quite authentic. And what a week. <laughs> what a week. It started off last Friday at the, the elders' retreat. I get there, pull up in my car. The window in my car won't go up. It's like, really? Look at the weather forecast. No rain. Thank you, God. So that was one thing. Come back from the retreat. We've got a ton of work to do, which, you know, expected straight into a living nativity meeting. It's just more work, busy, busy, busy. Friday morning, Monday morning, I get up early. I look out the window. There's a rat eating out of my bird feeder. It sees me, jumps across onto the wall, runs along the wall sideways, down. I go out there, discover the rat rat's nest with lots of little baby rats in it. They're with Jesus now. (laughs) Never caught the mother. (laughs) She's out there somewhere. And now as I'm walking around the house, I'm listening. It was outside. You know what you're like? You're listening. Did it go up in the attic? And I swear, every wall, every space in our house has a rat in it. Was that a rat? Was that a rat? So, so, so that's been on my mind. And then there's all kinds of little things right up to this morning. I'm late coming here. Sandra's already gone. She's on her way. Makes me look bad. I leave the garage. The garage door won't close. I go in. Nothing in front of the sensors. I'm pressing the button. The garage door won't close. I'm already late. I manage to get the garage door closed. I get here. I don't have my wallet. I don't have my keys. Troubles, 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 troubles. (sighs) I think, um, you know, when I, yeah, you ever been in trouble? 
<laughs> you know, I wouldn't say that my friends and I were troublemakers. And I wasn't a bad kid, per se. We weren't bad kids, per se. We weren't troublemakers, but we knew where it lived. And we'd go visit often, hang out with, with trouble. And, uh, and, and as I look back, something for the parents here, I, I realized that my friends and I were, were never really involved in anything. You know, we weren't in the Boy Scouts, we weren't in the Cubs, the swim team, or any sports like that, youth club. We dabbled in some of those things occasionally, but we were never really committed to them. We were left to our own boyhood imaginations, and our boyhood imaginations seldom went anywhere good. So parents, grandparents, if you've got kids, get them involved in stuff. Keep them busy. So Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's not a very encouraging passage of scripture. He didn't say you might have trouble. There's a possibility of trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And if he said it, you can count on it. So for the sake of this study, I want to break trouble up into three subcategories. Temptations, trials, and tests. Now, I wanted to try and get them all in this morning. I got to temptation. You'll have to come back next week for trials and tests. I know it's something you're thinking, man, I got to get there for that. But if you don't agree to do it, I'm going to preach all three this morning. So let's raise hands. Who's going to be here next week? See, you just lied, some of you, didn't you? (laughs) Temptations. Those are the things that entice us to do what is wrong. That's a temptation. A trial, you can subdivide trials as well. The difficulties of living in a fallen world, the garage door won't open and the old rat's nest, all those kinds of things that happen to us. But there's another part of trial too. People are put on trial when they do something wrong, right? So there are those kinds of trials. And I think and we'll talk now, we'll talk about it now, <laughs> more on that later. And third, tests. Anybody ever had to take a test? Pretty much everybody has to take a test, right? You want to drive, you've got to take a test. You want to graduate, do you have to take a test to graduate here? Kind of. It's a weak system. <laughs> but life is filled with tests, right? So we're going to look at that next week. Temptation trials, and tests, the terrible T's. So today we're going we're gonna to look at, at temptations. And I know some of you are probably facing some of these right now. Temptations, trials, and tests, maybe all of them. And here's the good news. Let me give you the good news right up front. When it comes to our relationship with Jesus, the relational Jesus, we can take heart. Jesus faced all of these terrible T's. He faced temptation. His ministry began with temptation. He was put on trial. He faced the trials of life, the difficulties of life. And he was very often put to the test all the way through his ministries. So whatever temptation, trial, or test you might be facing or have faced or will face, whatever trouble has come into your life, you can have the confidence of knowing that Jesus has experienced what you're experiencing. He gets it. He understands. And he's not just sympathetic. 
to your struggle. He's empathic to your struggle. And his desire is that in him, while you face these troubles, whatever these T's are in your life, you can have peace in him in the midst of these struggles. So let's dig into this terrible trio of T's. And we're going to begin with, we're going to tee off, there you go, with temptation. And that's as far as we're going to get this morning. So let's see how honest you are. Anyone ever been tempted? Come on, I'll keep asking you to put your hands up here. It's interactive this morning. Everyone has been tempted. How do I know that? Because the Bible says, for all have sinned. And temptation is the precursor to sin. Something got you to the sin. It was a temptation. And it comes with the territory. The territory we live in is this fallen world. Matthew 18, 7. Jesus says, what sorrow awaits the world... Because it tempts people to sin. Isn't that interesting? What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable. Oh, Jesus, really? You will have trouble. Temptations are inevitable. Give us some good news. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So we're going to start with here, three sources of temptation. So the first one right there, the world. Now, what does that mean? When the Bible refers to the world, you often see it, especially in the New Testament, it typically means people living outside of Christianity. But sometimes it means humankind as a whole. What's the best known verse in the Bible? John 3.16, for God so loved the world, the world, the whole world. And the problem with the world is you and me. It's filled with broken people. We're all broken. We live in a broken world. And broken people do broken things. And broken things are sinful things. But before the sin comes the enticement, the temptation. And I doubt that there's not a person in this room who has not been enticed at some point to enter into a sin by another person. Sometimes it's straight out of plain stupidity. (laughs) I mean, gosh, I remember the days of being stupid and you know, a friend says, hey, why don't we do such and such? Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> and sometimes you're the one. I, I'm pretty sure I had a few friends whose parents were, I don't know why you hang out with him. <laughs> but every mother does that, don't they? Because <laughs> her little boy's a saint. <laughs> don't, he'd be okay if it wasn't for those others. But sometimes it's just stupidity, Right? You're just looking for hijinks. But other times it's more sinister. When there's an ulterior motive. Someone causes someone else to fall into temptation for their personal gain or personal pleasure. And I think about, gosh, get serious here, sexual abuse. Where an adult grooms a child for their personal sexual gratification. 
That's evil. And then that child develops sexual addiction or deviant behavior because of what's happened to them. And so it perpetuates. Or anyone who manipulates any other person into sin for personal gain or pleasure. Drug dealers, human traffickers, crime rings. Jesus has a dire warning in this passage of Scripture for them. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. What sorrow awaits them because they tempt people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person or the organization who does the tempting? It's a dire warning. I believe Hollywood and the media industry as a whole have a massive amount to answer for in this regard. I believe politicians, government governing authorities have a massive amount to answer for in this regard. Big corporations, I know it's un-American to say that, but people are easily manipulated. When you've got the incredible media power that these groups and organizations have, people are easily manipulated. And what Jesus is saying is that we have this tendency towards sin. It's in us. Temptations are inevitable. It's in our nature. But you can either stoke that fire or you can dampen that fire. And some are sin stokers and some are sin dampers. We have a responsibility. Guess which are you? That might have been a sign from God. <laughs> it's my rat. Very funny. Do you know baby rats cry? Sorry, sorry. <laughs> we were in the middle of something deep there, weren't we? Temptations are inevitable. It's in our nature. But you can stoke the fire or you can dampen the fire. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to be real honest and transparent with you. I know there are times in my life, especially in my early life, where I stoked the fire of temptation in other people's lives. And when I read this, grace is good. <laughs> and it can be seemingly little things sometimes, you know? Have that extra drink. Eat that extra donut. It's okay. You don't need to report that on your taxes. Nobody does. It's okay, everybody does it. All the way up the scale to adultery and beyond, encouraging, compromise. Don't be that person. Not even in the little things. Don't be that person. So the first source is the world. The second source, our sinful desires. James 1.14, chapter 1, verse 14. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. Sometimes we don't need any help, do we? It's an inside job. You, you got this stuff going on inside of you, you know, and you look for a way to meet the needs other than God's way. It's like I say, for, for my friends and I, you know, we weren't troublemakers, but we knew where trouble lived. 
and we go hang out there just for the fun of it. And when you combine that with the first one, it's a terrible twosome. The world will feed the weakness inside of us. You know, we pray, don't we? Lead us not into temptation, and then we go find it. Lead me not into temptation, God, but don't look while I go over here. Don't look while I go to this website. Don't look while I'm filling out my tax form. We stand no chance. Okay, that's it. No. <laughs> the devil made me do it, right? That's the third source, Satan. And he is a nasty one. His primary tools, I came up with some, and then I thought of one, another one. Deceit, discouragement, distractions, and one I didn't put up there, doubt. Big tools that Satan uses to draw us into temptation. He is the deceiver. John 8, 44 says, you are the children, this is Jesus talking to the Pharisees, you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is the opposite of God. The exact mirror opposite of God. But he will present himself as an angel of light. He will present himself as one who brings reason. He makes right seem wrong and wrong seem right. He teaches us to mistrust God. Do what is reasonable in human eyes. God's not reasonable. You know, there, you ever read something in the Bible and you just don't get it? There are lots of things. There are lots of things in the Bible that when I read them, I mean, I literally, sometimes I just go, what's that all about? I don't understand. We're at the beginning. You know, Cain offers up an offering. Abel offers up an offering. God doesn't like one. The other one's acceptable. It doesn't really go into it, and someone can come to me and say, well, here's the reason why. We don't really know the reason why. And Cain gets cast out. Why did Lot's wife get turned into a pillar of salt simply for looking over her shoulder? I mean, isn't that a natural reaction? They're running away from Sodom and Gomorrah. If you don't know the story, there's fire and brimstone coming out of the sky. Who's now going to look over their shoulder? If I was there, I'd be a pillar of salt. Like, what's that all about, God? That's pretty harsh. Why did he harden Pharaoh's heart? All of those plagues. And it seems like Pharaoh didn't have the choice to let the people go. God hardened his heart. Is that, what's that all about, God? And then there were passages of scripture where, where God tells the Israelites to go into the land and, and kill everybody, the woman, the children, the animals. What's that all about, God? Don't normally talk about this stuff on Sunday morning. It doesn't seem fair. And there are all kinds of things. But it comes down to trust. 
God is not arbitrary. If he says, don't do it, don't do it. He has a reason. If he says, do it, then do it. He has a reason. We may not always understand the reason, see the reason, or maybe even agree with the reason. But scripture says in Proverbs 3, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. We're not going to get our heads around God. God has revealed enough of himself to us that we can trust in him, but it still leaves questions. And Satan will get in there and use those questions. He is the accuser. He accuses God. He accuses Jesus. He accuses you and he accuses me. And what I mean by that, his goal is to make good look bad, wrong look right, reason look unreasonable, and unreason look reasonable. And he will use your own good intentions against you. In this way, by deceit, he can lead you into temptation by getting you to not trust God. So I guess doubt is in there. And if he can't deceive you, he's going to try and discourage you. Anyone ever been discouraged? Enough of the hand-raising, Pastor Mike. Yeah. Unmet hopes. Unmet desires. Unmet expectations. Unmet character. He uses our own failings against us. And the world will discourage you also, won't it? Satan is a discourager and the world is a discourager. The image of the perfect person, the perfect world with the perfect job, confident, strong, independent. What a bunch of baloney. <laughs> what a, they met me, they met my people, my family or the people in my neighborhood. I don't know who all these people are that we see in the media. Even the broken ones are heroes. <laughs> it's like, really? So come and live down here for a while. <laughs> Don't go that way. You know, it, it's good to try and get better, to reach for the stars, try to improve. But really, let, let me tell you something. The Joneses aren't doing that well. It may look all shiny and good, but the Joneses aren't doing that well. They're broken just like you're broken and I'm broken. And they're struggling just like you're struggling and I'm struggling. They may look good. If you feel like a failure... Or if you feel that you've failed, join the club. Join the club. It's broken. You're broken. I'm broken. We're all in the same club together. We don't win by trying to outdo one another. We win by loving on one another. By caring on one another. By accepting one another as broken people. And reaching out to someone and giving them a hand and lifting them up rather than trying to lord it over them and be better than them. Everybody's got a story. Everyone has failures. Everyone has disappointments. And I'm not trying to minimize your pain, but I am trying to normalize it. We're all broken. And we're all dealing with unmet needs disappointments and it's how you manage those unmet needs and disappointment that's important 
And Satan will use that to lure you away from God. He wants to use your brokenness to isolate you. Jesus wants to use your brokenness to bring you into relationship with him. And there's a lot of scriptures on this. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. Psalm 147.3, he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. There's so many scriptures on encouragement. But you've got to reach out to the people that God sends to you in order to receive that healing. Last one. Thank you, God. Distractions. Satan can't tempt you with deceit, disappointments. He will use distractions to keep you busy. Keep your eye on something other than his purpose and his plan for your life. And it's usually really good stuff, right? Kids are in this. The kids are in that. The kids are in everything. I said, keep your kids busy. Busy kids are busy parents, right? That's not a bad thing. Or it's urgent stuff. Stuff I've got to get done today. Stuff that's got to get done. Or it's things, you know, so many people are dealing with, with aging relatives, aging parents, and, and the difficulties that bring. Now, here's the problem. That stuff is inevitable in life. But sometimes we allow it to throw us off track and then we stay off track. We don't come back on track. We get derailed and we stay derailed. But even in the midst of urgent and even in the midst of is busy, there are opportunities for obedience. So we've got deceit, discouragement, distraction. Seems like the cards are against us, doesn't it? This is a really upbeat one this week, eh? And I never got to finish it because it gets better, but you've got to come back next week. When Jesus says temptations are inevitable, we know it's coming. So what can we do about temptations? How do we live victoriously in a world that is going to tempt us? Well, first, you've got to understand that Jesus understands. Jesus was tempted in every way. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, that's Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. How can that be? How was Jesus tempted in every way? We don't know. We don't know the details. But I look at Jesus' life. From birth to age 30, We only have one incident when he was 12 years old that we know about. So from age 12 to age 30, 18 years, we know nothing. Now, I want you to think about age 12 to age 30. Those were the years, weren't they? (laughs) I mean, if you could go back in time and make some changes, I'll pretty much guarantee everybody in this room would go back between 12 and 30, and make some changes. If you're not between 12 and 30 yet, yeah. (laughs) We don't know what happened in Jesus' life in that time. We have no idea. It's not recorded. But Jesus was fully human. 
and was tempted in every way just as we are. I don't know how that works. But I trust it. And it says he did not succumb to that temptation. So we have a high priest. We have Jesus who gets it. He knows your struggle. He knows your weakness. He knows what it's like to face those temptations. And he understands when we succumb to those temptations. Which is why I love that passage in John 12, I think it is, where Jesus says, I don't judge you for not doing what I say. Yeah, it's a great passage of Scripture. I don't judge you for not doing what I say. Yay, Jesus! I will judge you if you reject me. I accept you. Thank you for not judging me. So three elements. I've got to get a move on here. Three elements of temptation. Number one, every temptation has a twisted truth. There's always a, a truth wrapped up, a lie wrapped up in the truth. I was going to get into Satan's tempting Jesus, but we don't have time. There's always a twisted truth. Number two, there is always an opportunity to compromise. To compromise on your values, to compromise on your beliefs. And number three, there's always a short-term gain. You get something from it. Satan is smart. There's a twisted truth. There's an opportunity to compromise, and you get something from it. So how do we fight it? Number one, what lie have you believed? What lie have you believed? If there's a twisted truth, and you're seeking to meet needs, or you're going down a path that is not God's path for your life, what lie have you believed that is taking you down that path? What is it that, that he has managed to trick you? What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God, and these other things will be added to you. He said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. See, this is the head and the heart again that I talked about last week. Sometimes we believe in our head, oh, I can trust God, but we don't get it in our heart. It's kind of like, I know God has my best interest, but, but, I know God can be trusted, but, and anytime there is a but, it's because you have believed a lie. I'm the best one to take care of that need. I know God can be trusted. I know God wants me to be happy. I know he wants to meet my needs, but I don't know if I can trust him with my time. See, in my head I can, but in my heart I can't. I don't know if I can trust him with my talents. What if he asks me to do something that I'm not comfortable with? I don't know if I can trust him with my treasure. I want to be faithful with my money. I want to tithe, but what if? But, but, but. I want to trust him with my body, but. My mind, but. My emotions, but. My need for love and security, but what if he doesn't meet the need? What if he doesn't do this? What if this doesn't happen? I'll take care of this, God. I got this, God. I'm going to trust you, God, but. 
God knows your need. God knows your heart. God knows your want. God wants to find you to find complete fulfillment in him. And you can if you trust him. But there's that but. Number two, look for the out God has provided. I remember after I gave my life to Jesus, went forward at the, what do you call those things in a tent? Revival. It was in the curling rink in Canada. And they gave me a book. Go away and read this. And there was a bunch of memory verses. And the very first memory verse was 1 Corinthians 10.13. It was in a different version than this. It says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. Everybody's going to be tempted. You're not special. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Ouch. No excuse. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. What is the way out? He will show you a way out so that you can endure. It's not hidden. It's there to be seen. For me, some real practical ones, be about his word. Fill your life up with his truth. Be about his work some people, I always believe that, that the, the best way to fight temptation is not to focus on what is tempting you, not to focus on what you're not to do, but to focus on what you are to do. And if you focus on serving God and doing the work of God, I believe that God will sort out the don'ts. But as long as we're focused 99% of our time on the, that thou shalt not, that's all we're thinking about. I remember my son, I want to put AA down, but my son had a problem with drinking. And uh, he had to go to AA. It was part of a requirement, a recovery program. And he didn't want to go. And I went to a meeting with him. He said, I'll show you why, Dad. And he took me to a meeting. And I got to the meeting. And, you know, there, there's a process they go through. And somebody got up there. My name's so-and-so. I'm an alcoholic. And we had the meeting. And he, as we came away, he said, what did we talk about all night? I said, alcohol. I said, yeah, I don't like going there. Then my daughter introduced him to Celebrate Recovery. He took me to a Celebrate Recovery meeting. After he said, what did we talk about all night? Jesus. Got it. <laughs> Focus on what God is calling you to do, and it will take your mind off all of thou shalt not. This need that's missing in my life. Oh, I just need this. I just need this, God. If only you would do this. Get on with the work of God. And be around his people. Hang out with his people, which is the third one. Whose help do you need to recruit? This is God's hand in this earth. These broken people are just like you. They're not better than you. They're not worse than you. They're just like you, and they want to help you. Number four, the obvious one, stay away from that situation. If you find that you're succumbing to, to sin, if you're an alcoholic, don't hang out in the bar. If you tend to gossip, don't hang out with the people who gossip. If you tend to steal things, 
Stay home. <laughs> and number five, accept his grace. Temptations are inevitable. You will succumb to temptation. That's not an excuse. That's just a reality. Jesus knows this. This is why he came. This is why he said, I don't judge you on what you do. I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. He wants you to know his grace. He wants you to know his forgiveness. He wants you to know his mercy. He wants you to know his love. And he offers a clean sheet. And what I love about Jesus His forgiveness is absolute. Absolute. When you ask him to come into your life and forgive your sins, he forgives your sins today. He forgives your sins from the past. And he forgives your sins that you have not even done yet. It is absolute and it is complete. And the crisis that Satan wants to use to separate you from God... Jesus wants you to, to use to bring you to God. He loves you. He wants to pour his grace, his love, and his mercy into your broken life and into my broken life. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy, Father. I thank you that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and walk amongst us, to show us the way, to offer forgiveness. He came into this broken world. He was tempted in every way, in the same ways that we are tempted, and yet was without sin. He was tempted so that when we come to you in moments like this, we can come through him to you he understands and he gets it and if you've never come to that place in your life where you've asked Jesus to come into your life as Lord and Savior where you've asked him for forgiveness of sins he made it so easy he said if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. To confess him as Lord is to say, I want you to be in charge of my life, Jesus. Please forgive my sin. Come into my life and change me. And if you've never done that, you can do that right now with a simple prayer. Dear Jesus, give me the faith to trust in you. Please forgive my sin. Come into my life and change me. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming, everybody. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just uh, thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for everybody that gathered here. And we just thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us and in your son down here to forgive us for our sins, Lord. And may we just remember that as we go forth today. Amen. And benevolence on your way out the door. So that goes, that's not your normal tithes and offerings. It uh, 
goes to uh, help the local community and those in need. Thank you. I did that already, Mom. <laughs> <laughs>